Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I have Celestine Presley. She is the first Black and female Chief Information Officer for the White House Office of the United States Trade Representative. She's an accomplished IT executive who has led enterprise information management systems for over 20 years. Celestine is known for seamlessly integrating complex IT systems while designing and managing large data migrations and integrations that increase productivity and efficiency for federal agencies. On this episode, you'll hear about Celestine's experience as a CIO, We'll also talk about her experience as a certified federal executive coach. Celestine uses her coaching skills to help individuals reach their professional goals, and her goal is to help every client reach their full potential and live a fulfilling life. Also, we'll talk about some diversity issues that she's had to encounter in her career. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, make sure to rate, subscribe, and leave a review for the podcast today. Before we jump in, just want to give a reminder that I am still offering coaching services for individuals who are in tech or looking to get into tech. I help people understand the tech landscape, as well as helping those who are already in tech navigate their career path and continue to complete and accomplish their goals. If you're interested in career coaching, the link is in the show notes, or you can find the link on blacktechunplugged.com. All right, and now let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm here with a very special guest. Celestine, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. My name is Celestine Presley. I am Chief Information Officer with the United States Office of U.S. Trade Representative, and I'm happy to be here. Yes, and I'm happy to have you on this episode. There's so much that we're going to cover especially with your current role as the Chief Information Officer of the U.S. Trade Representative. And I want to start there. Let's just start with, as a CIO, what are your exact responsibilities? Anything dealing with information technology goes through me and I am responsible for. So my head is on the chopping block for all things IT in the simplest of terms. (laughs) (laughs) So the U.S. Trade Representative is under one of the components at the White House. So we support any policy initiatives of the administration. And so what that means, and that's what I call the mission side of things. If, for instance, there's a new trade agreement with Malaysia and they want to track whatever trade initiative and agreement to make sure things are being enforced, then what I would do, I would work with that office to build some sort of application, if needed, to build a place for Malaysia's national team to connect with our team and share information, to share the language, to track the goods, whatever aspects of it. And so they would tap me for that if needed. We did that for, I'll use the China wars that went on a couple of years ago. Uh, We built something for that. I I did a talk on that, how we had to stand that up in five weeks. And so that's the mission side. Operational is everything from your phone to your laptop, to your headsets, and obviously security where I work, partnering with our cybersecurity team, CISA, the agency that was founded for cybersecurity awareness, 
just making sure everything is secure because my agency is on a global stage. So lots of different facets, lots of different moving pieces, but that's what my team is responsible for. So that falls on me. It sounds like a lot is on your shoulders. And so take me through, what does a typical day look like from your perspective? Well, I can tell you how I plan it and then how it ends. Um, So I always have a plan. I always have a long-term goal. I always have my to-do list. And then I am where I am. I'm, I'm at the White House. Things happen. Things change on a dime. And so I have to be cognizant of that. So I definitely always have a plan. And then if something happens, then I have to jump on it. And so that's when I make my decision. Is this something that my team can handle? Because I have a great team. They're very good. They have a high work ethic and they just take the ball and run with it, which really helps because if I have to advocate for something or use that different skill set, which really is most important in this role, I mean, I'll touch on that for a minute. In my role and this at this level of leadership in IT, it requires a different set of skills and it requires tapping into emotional intelligence understanding people and how to move the needle and how to get to that yes when you first hear a no. What I would love to say is at this point in my life and in my professional career, no is the starting point for negotiation to how to get to the yes. So those are the skill sets and the mindset, quite frankly, that you have to have because a lot of it goes down to negotiation, especially when you're dealing with senior leadership and data. So all being able to present the data to help move the needle, because a lot of times when you're dealing with people who don't want to change, you have to tap into those coaching skills. I'm a certified coach to figure out what's the underlying issue. Why don't you want to change? What is going on to get you to move that needle? And this all has nothing to do with IT, right? Right. So, (laughs) so I've had to leverage that quite a bit more so than I I ever thought when I got my coaching certification, it was really to help people. I love helping people, you know, live their best life, get beyond whatever boundaries or things that are holding them back. And so it was more of a heart personal thing. I do it at work as well when the opportunity presents itself. I had no idea that when I'm in these negotiating rounds and things like that, I'd be asking those open-ended questions to get them to think. So my job is about, depending on the issue and depending on the day of the week, it could be 60 to 70% advocating, negotiating, presenting, meeting with the senior leadership on the entire campus, all of the heads of the components discussing the future of the White House proper in, in terms of how we support the administration. All of those things, percentage-wise, it could go from 40% of that to 60 to 70% of that. And then my team, thank God, is there making sure the engine runs. So a lot of times when I'm doing mission critical stuff, which happens like that, I'm also building things to enhance and optimize how we meet the mission operationally. And I'm doing it in parallel. So there's a lot going on in addition to supporting our field offices, traveling out there. So I really enjoy what I do is tapping into some of the things that I enjoy, there are frustrating moments, but overall, I really enjoy it. I enjoy meeting colleagues in different countries and partnering with them to support whatever's going on and interacting with different people with different mindsets. There's something to be said for diversity, not just 
the different color and the different hues, but also diversity of thought. Yes. How people come up and develop code and things like that, it all comes from your, your backgrounds. And I'll use, and I don't know if this is still a problem, but I'll use Ring as an example. You know, a lot of people use Ring, but they don't recognize their owners if their owners are of a different complexion, of a darker hue. And so when I found that out, I was like, well, that means when they were building their algorithm, there was nobody in the room that looked like me to tell them, say, hey, this this won't work for 60% of the population. And, you know, yet people are buying it and don't know that. Right. Because to be honest, I've heard other things like when you go in the washroom as a person of color, you put your hands under and you're waiting for the water to come out. It doesn't recognize our skin tone. So it doesn't, the water doesn't come out, but I had, I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know the thing about ring. Well, they may have fixed it. I mean, this, when I heard about that, that was two or three years ago. Okay. Um, And so hopefully they fixed it, but I use it as an example to show that it was clearly obvious that when they were coding, there was no representation. Right. And those are the kind of things that need to change because it brings in diversity of thought, diversity of ideas. And so that, you know, just to land this plane, that's why I'm happy to be a part of this podcast to number one, show that it, it is attainable. And also so that someone who may be frustrated where they are to keep going, it's not whatever frustrating moments you're having that's not the way it will be every place you go. Yes. And Celestine, we have to go back and touch on a couple of the different topics. Okay. So let's start with the skill set that's needed for the role. So you mentioned emotional intelligence (laughs) and a couple of other skills. But when you think about it, all those skills, it's a lot of context switching within your day. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, it is. And I can't give you the secret sauce for that. I can say that... For me, I do enjoy coaching and I do enjoy working with people. Mm-hmm. I am in my happy place when I have to do something that taps into my logic and I'm putting on my music and I'm like, takes me back to a time when I was coding to the point where we're talking to the architects and we're, we're talking about something and I'll start asking real technical questions because my background, I, I literally coded. So I coded, I, you know, so I started from this, you know, I have a degree in computer science. Mm-hmm. So I did the full stack. And so I'll start, you know, asking these questions, like reminiscing. And I'll be like, wait a minute, that's not my job anymore. Stop, stop. So listening. <laughs> um, so it is context switching. It is a lot, but I'm used to it because I've had to do it. And I think because I enjoy coaching and helping people, just that's just a part of my DNA. It's mm-hmm. easy to navigate those those worlds. Well, if you ever come up with the secret sauce, please bottle it up because I feel like Context switching is basically becoming a skill that you need, especially if you're going to work in tech, because no one day is the same as well as you could be focused on one area like cloud, but you're not going to just sit and code for a clouding application all day. You have to wear multiple hats in the tech workplace now. Yes. Yes, it is very true. I think you have to figure out what rhythm works for you and then tap into that. Just lean into that and then cater your schedule around what works best for you instead of adjusting who you are. And I want to caveat that with that. When I say adjusting who you are, I don't mean don't grow professionally or trying to adjust your rhythm and how you're fundamentally designed to match something that's not a fit. It's like a a square peg fitting in a round hole. It won't work. 
Right. So just, you know, what, what's required of you, you know, what you need to do, how do you make it work based on how you're wired? True. I do want to add another caveat to what you said, though. You also have to practice boundaries because once you know what your routine is and how you can thrive within an environment, if you don't have those boundaries in place, people will try to knock you off your game and come into your time and space. So it's key to also make sure that you have the right boundaries in place. You don't have to be aggressive about it, but you have to be able to say like, no, this is my flow time. This is where I work. I can't do that right now. Yeah. And also mark it off on your calendar. Um, so, you know, have that dedicated time. If you know, this is, if you're a morning person and you know, you code the best in the morning, then have that time marked away versus if you're an evening person or a night owl, just make it work for you where you are able to produce the best. And I think in this day and age, that flexibility is definitely available to us. Yes. Especially given that I think a majority of people, I will say are at least doing a hybrid office versus working from home or fully working from home still during the pandemic. So you're able to have a lot of flexibility with things that you didn't used to have flexibility with. Very true. Very true. And I love it. Speaking of the workplace, I'm not sure if everyone caught, but you say you actually work in the White House. Yes. So there's a, there's a suite of offices on the campus. And so I am not in the White House, but I'm on the campus. Yes. Because trade is one of the components of of the White House. So, yes. So everyone's going to want to know the answer to what is that experience like? Well, this is my third administration. So I just want to be clear. I'm not politically appointed. So I didn't come in with this administration. I was I went out to USA Jobs like any other person and applied. And it just so happens when I was hired, this was the agency. I joined in 2009 and I was, you know, tickle pink at that time, because it was the first African-American president, Barack Obama. And I was so excited about that. At that time, I was working in OMB, focusing strictly on data. OMB is the Office of Management and Budget. But the Office of Management and Budget, they are over the budget for the country. So I was working there, working on data. That was my thing for years and kept working, moving up the ladder. And then this position opened up and I, I switched offices. So I've been around for about 12 years now, 12, 13 years. And let's talk about your journey up the ladder, because as you mentioned, you started in the government sector in 2009. And as we know, as a woman that looks like us working in tech, it's not the easiest. So what kept you motivated to keep going? That's a great question. So I worked in private for 13 years prior to coming to the government. I was a government contractor, no, had, didn't really have a desire to work for the federal government, quite frankly. And I was data, I was, I was an independent contractor, my own little business or whatever. And I was very happy with that, just kind of staying under the radar. And I didn't know it was preparing me for where I am now. But And then this position opened up. And like I said, it was an opportunity. They actually encouraged me to apply. I knew I knew enough to know, even though I didn't want to work for the federal government, that I had better apply if they were <laughs> they were encouraging me to apply. So I did. And the rest is history. But what inspired me to keep going is I just what else do you do? I am at a place where I know who I am, what I have to contribute. And a lot of times when you get feedback, it's, it's, it's good feedback. 
when you get criticism, most of that has nothing to do with you. And so you have to know how to parse the two. Yes. And if it's critical or if you're in a toxic environment, you have to decide, is that worth it? And a lot of times people, and I even myself at earlier stages of my career may not have valued my self-worth enough to say, this is not working for me. This is what I, I tell people. Why are you here? Mm-hmm. And why, what's keeping you here? Mm-hmm. And if you can't answer what's keeping you here with something that's really part of your core value system, mm-hmm. then it's probably time for you to look for other opportunities. The biggest thing is to know your value and your worth. A lot of times, you know, they say they can't find Black talent. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're not looking. We're here. Right. We've always been here. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, unfortunately, just culturally, we might not step out and say, I'm here. I'm great. You love me. <laughs> Sometimes other cultures do that mm. and might have, you know, a fraction of your skill set. Right. Um, and that's how they get ahead. So there's just a lot of different things to self-assessment to do, especially when you're in those toxic environments. But for me, it was no other choice but to keep going. It is, do I keep going here or do I go somewhere else? Where, as the saying goes, you're celebrated and not tolerated. Yes, yes. And you mentioned how having your own business or being an independent contractor, but how that influenced and helped you in your role. So I want to elaborate on that. What skills or what did you learn that you use in day? Well, yeah. So the funny thing about that time in my life, it was just me. I'm a mom now. And I used to just jump off the cliff. Like there was just no boundaries for me. It was like, If I had an idea, I was like, okay, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And that was my late 20s, early 30s. So I jumped into this this (laughs) independent contracting thing and I learned a lot while I was doing. And so if there's a message for that, it is some people need to have everything perfect before they try. Right. And it's never going to happen if you do that. Mm -mm. You just have to jump and try. And so I learned as I went and it taught flexibility. It taught perseverance and endurance and how to talk to people to convince them to do what you want them to do. Understanding the the really true benefit of a cost benefit analysis, presentations, presenting, how the federal government contracting works, you know, all of those different things that really help because joke was, you know, when I was out there, I was a fleecer, you know, they say they fleece the government. And I said, now I'm the policer, I'm policing the government. So I went from the fleecer to the policer, but it helps me to understand both sides in terms of, especially when you're making critical career decisions, you have to weigh all of the pros and cons. I knew that that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I knew how hard it was for people to join the federal workforce. And I wasn't going to walk away from it, at least without trying. Takeaway messages to just keep trying and try everything. Even if you see a job and there's 10 qualifications and you qualify for two of the, or three, mm-hmm. send it in anyway, because you don't know what, what they're weighing. Right. You don't know what's most important to them. And you never should sell yourself short. I think that's one of the things that, that really bothers me as I mentor and coach people, especially women. They really feel like they have to have all 10 items on the job description before they apply. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, that I've heard, well, I don't qualify. Well, why not? 
And then you see the list and you're like, no, you qualify. And, and the reality is if you have every single thing, you're probably overly qualified. You should be applying for the job ahead above because wow. where do you, how do you grow in that thing? That is a really good point. I think that also relates back to what you mentioned about jumping into situations. We want that perfect, like, I want to be able to check all of the things that this particular job wants. And that's just not reality. And half the time when people have these job wrecks out here, they don't even really know what the role is. And they don't really know what someone's looking for. You don't really know until you go into the interview and you talk to someone on the team. So why not just apply and put yourself out there? Exactly. And then you have to kind of go down that line and they tell you no. Then what? You keep going. That's what happens. You're not going to die. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so just put yourself out there. Just do it. Yes. Yes. I am complete agreeance with you. And for anyone who's listening to the podcast and interested in potentially applying for a government role, what tips or advice do you have for them? Keep applying. Perseverance. Keep going. You know, you may um, get it on the first try. You may not. Look for organizations federal organizations that you might be able to volunteer, conferences, depending on what GS level. And the reason why I say that, there's different grades and levels. And so you think about a mountain, I hate to use this analogy, but if you think about a mountain, the base of the mountain, which would be like the lower levels, it's it's they're very wide because there's so many opportunities down there. Mm-hmm. But the higher you go grade-wise and title, just like the top of a mountain, it's fewer positions. And so a lot of times they're advertised, but it's about networking too. So it depends on number one, when you come in, what level are you trying to be? You know, what, where are you trying to go based on your skill sets? And then find, because there's so many federal organizations in general, and then for people of color that you can potentially volunteer and just put three, hey, I'm trying to get a job. I like to transfer. And then I'm on Facebook and there's so many federal groups and they do in those federal fed groups, people are like I'm, I've been applying forever. And then you just have a flood of people giving tips who are in HR. So they're telling them specific things to do to help. And so there's a lot of information out there, but the biggest thing is if I got in, you can get in, just keep trying. You mentioned organizations that you can volunteer. Do you know the, any organizations to name off the top of your head? It depends. They're, they're specific to your industry. So there's ACT IAC, that's ACT IAC. That's where private IT and public sector IT merge. There's a firm as well. There's big blacks in government. That's a big one. And so, you know, when I said that you, they have conferences every year, yeah. they might need a volunteer. And so that's an opportunity. Also get on USA Jobs. Sometimes they have career fairs. That's where you apply. That's like the main hub where Mm -hmm. you apply for jobs. And so, and just don't get discouraged. That's the biggest thing. You do hear about the algorithms and how your resume has to be formatted a certain way for certain things. And and some of that's true. You you do need to cater your resume. The, the, The standard resume may not work. So you would need to be specific for the particular role that you're applying for. So it, it will take a little more work, but it's it's definitely worth it. I'll never forget, I, I met this lady and she was an SES 
She said, I applied to 50 to 60 jobs before I got this one. Wow. And I just wanted to highlight that because that level, that's, that's perseverance, right? Right. Right. And it worked. It paid off. So I'm not saying that you have to do that, but that's part of the reason why I never tried. Cause I was like, that's just too much. Especially when I was in my twenties and thirties, I was like, why would I do that when I can just, you know, post it on dice and these people will start calling me. So, cause I was, you know, very hands-on technical at that time. Right. And so that's no work. Those are, the, those are the organizations that come to mind, especially on the IT space. There are so many other organizations out there, depending on your discipline. Just do your research. And like I said, when they have conferences, you can contact them, say, I'd like to volunteer, and then just kind of get in there and get to know people. If you really have a strong desire, because there's a huge contracting presence with the government too. And that's another way to open that door because a lot of contractors become federal employees. Now, from a contracting perspective, what is the difference in regards to how to get your foot in the door? Process is the same because that's by law. You can't circumvent that. Mm -hmm. But what you are circumventing is the level of unknowingness of hiring somebody blind. Mm -hmm. You've been working with that team for five, 10 years. They know your skills. Right. Or your hat in the ring they're more, more likely going to favor you because there's less ramp up time. Now you didn't mention referrals and usually everybody, that's the first thing someone says, get referred into a certain role. How do referrals work from a government standpoint? They don't. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what I just described as a contractor or somebody else working with you, mm-hmm. that's the referral, but that's not official. Right. Because there are legal implications. Like you have to post a position publicly for a certain amount of time to give anybody the opportunity to apply, to be fair and equitable. Mm-hmm. And so there's no behind the scenes like referral to, you know, for a person. That's good to know. And we've been talking about your journey up, how you got in with contracting and moving up the ladder. Do you have top three lessons that you've learned? Really value yourself. And know that whoever person that talks the most in the room is might not be the most knowledgeable. Mm. Um, and don't be intimidated by that. You know, really be comfort, comfortable and confident in who you are. Um, not necessarily arrogant, but comfortable and confident. And to persevere, just to keep going. I can't tell you many times when I was an independent contractor, your salary is higher. And so, I would have these days and I'd be like, why am I still here? And then I log into my bank account. I'd be like, oh, okay, okay, this is my story. <laughs> and so that was my thing. You know, you got to know your why you're still there. So that's what's keeping you motivated. And that's my joke. But, you know, you got to know what's keeping you there. What's your long-term goal? Stay focused on the goal. And if you're not at your goal, don't become complacent. You got to keep going. Reach, reach that goal. There's a reason why it's inside of you. There's a reason why it was put inside of you and your contribution is needed. Yes. Yes. I like that. I want to switch gears a little bit and you've mentioned it quite a few times, but you are a coach. So I want you to tell my listeners, what are you a coach of? Yeah. So I hopped on this program, a federal program, International Coaching Foundation. We partnered with them and I applied and I got in. And so my focus executive and life and People can say those are separate, but they're not Mm -mm. because as one of my coaches says, if you're crazy, 
making 20, you're going to be crazy making 200. So you need to work on the crazy before you try to go for the 200. So all of it's interchangeable because you're bringing yourself to the job. Right. So it's, it's all interweaving and interwoven, but that's, that's what I do. I enjoy it. And all of the experiences that I've had really have helped prepare me. I'm able to navigate and see situations clearly to the point where friends will call me and be like, okay, so let me shoot this scenario. Oh, so what's really happening is that she's scared. And so she's saying this and you might want to handle it this way, but that's not coaching. That's just my friends. When I'm coaching, it's more of asking, like I said, those open-ended questions to get you to the place where the answer is revealed because the reality is we always know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just need to hear your own thoughts and the answer has always been there. Yes, yes. And how did you get into coaching? Was it something that was always in the back of your mind? I've always helped people navigate their issues. Mm-hmm. And honestly, one of the benefits of coaching, and it was a challenge at first, because you know, somebody tells me something and I'm listening and then I'm just jump in. And what coaching is, is no, you're listening and you're asking questions. Right. Because when you jump in, you're assuming some things that might not be true based on your life experiences, not their life experiences. Right. You rested on that, huh? But it's the truth. Yeah. (laughs) So for me, when I work as a functional delivery lead, I often work with team members and anyone knows like as a scrum master, functional delivery lead, whatever you want to call it, you're always working with people with different personalities. And they're always coming to you because they think you have all of the answers magically. A lot of times the way that I've observed other people speak to their team, it's like you're handing them the answer and that doesn't really help them learn. It doesn't help them to actually think through a problem. Right. To hear the way you worded it, it's like, okay, that makes complete sense of how you should really be handling people. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a little more time, especially like when you're working and you're in the trenches, you're just like, you're just ready to get that issue over with and move to the next thing. But I'm a certified scrum master. And so one of the things that I thought was interesting was that how in that training, they're asking all open-ended questions. They're asking coaching questions. So it's the same kind of thing. It's all interrelated. And when you're able to see it that way, you can help that person reach their highest and maximum potential. And so for me, I, I enjoy when they get that aha moment mm-hmm. and they just take off running. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's where the joy is, right? Right. Yes. And to wrap up our conversation today, I know you didn't just wake up and get the role. It's a lot of hard work. You had to climb up the ladder. But let's just say, think back to your like 15-year-old, 16-year-old self. Did you ever think or aspire to be a CIO? IT, yes. Computers, okay. Yes. My uncle started a computer center for youth. Okay. And so he used his nieces and nephews as guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. So I wrote my first program in basic when I was like in the sixth grade. Wow. So I always had a sense of IT and I knew I wanted to go in computers. Had no idea it would lead here. But what I will say was when I graduated, I got my computer science degree went back and got my MBA. My first job, I took the Myers-Briggs and they basically said I had the profile of a CEO and I was like 26 and I never forgot that. And I was like, well, what am I going to do with this? I don't know, <laughs> I'm 26 years old and I never forgot it. So did I ever think I would get to this point? I always was, I'm a bit of an entrepreneur. So I always thought I would own, 
never thought I would be in the federal government and be where I am, but I'm blessed and I, I don't minimize it. It's, it took a lot of hard work once I got here and a lot of perseverance and failures and lessons learned and navigating. We didn't even go to a whole thing about all of the diversity stuff, but all of those type scenarios, how I navigated those situations. I can't tell you how many times, not since I've been CIO per se, but especially when I was at OMB, when I first joined, I was always a double minority, 90% of the time. So I was able to not navigate that because of my educational background and, and I mean like grade school up. So it was easier to navigate, but it's still still a challenge because people are familiar with who they're familiar with. And so it's easy for people who look the same to get into a rhythm that they only know because it's a cultural thing and there are cultural differences and that's okay. But I think the thing is that people have to acknowledge that there are cultural differences and really make that extra effort to be more inclusive because there, you know, I've literally was in meetings that I was head of the project mm-hmm. and the people in the meeting watching me present, start going and talking about how to, how to solve the problem and my presentations on the board. I've had lots of different scenarios that I had to navigate, which is why I said perseverance, knowing who you are. That's why I led with that, being confident in who you are and knowing that when situations occur like that, you're not the problem. Mm. They're the problem. How do you assert yourself without look appearing angry and confrontational? And I know you don't think I'm going to let you off the hook and not have to tell us at least one example. Let's just use the example that you've already provided. How did you handle that situation? So, you know, like I said, really engaged in how to solve the problem. And it was my project and I had already come up with a plan and everything going on. Mm -hmm. So I sat there and let them, they were going back and forth, going back and forth. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, so how do I nip this in the bud? Mm -hmm. And one guy said, you know, we need a, a database diagram to really kind of show what's going on. And that's when I said, like the one that's on the screen. And then they stopped and then they looked on the screen Mm -hmm. and then they realized what they had done. And I was like, and then I did, I said, why do I work here? Why do I have a job here? What's my role? Mm -hmm. And so, but I didn't say it very in your face, you know, head snapping, all that stuff. I just, I just said, why, why do I, why am I here? You know? Mm -hmm. And then I never had that issue again. Because I, you know, I didn't need to say anything else after that. What's the point? What I appreciate about the story that you're sharing is that you handled it with grace. Like you said, you didn't have to snap your neck or call anybody out their name. And yet you still got their attention. It's like, okay, now we're back here and we're focused on what we originally came for. Yes. And then I was able to show them what I had come up with. And then we talked it through. But I needed for them to understand what they were doing and how disrespectful it was. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, because they were familiar with each other and, you know, whatever, and, and we were all on the same team, don't get me wrong, right. but they were vibing off of each other. It was that rhythm, that cultural difference. Mm-hmm. And just to stay on the diversity track for one more moment, I know a lot of people who listen to the podcast have had moments, especially early on in their career, where it's like that moment almost broke me. Like, I don't even want to be in the industry anymore. Has that happened to you? No, I never said I never want to be in the industry, but I was like, I'm leaving this job. 
Okay. So I definitely have, have left if I felt an environment was toxic mm-hmm. or wasn't good for me. And yes, I've had that situation and I did leave, but walk away from IT, no. And if I did, it would be for something that I really, really love, but it wouldn't be because of something that someone said. It would be because I'm literally making a choice to pursue some sort of passion or something. I'm just not going to let ignorant people have that kind of control. And we've talked about networking quite a bit and how networking is important in the tech industry. Do you have a network of people who look like you that are in the same role so that you all can help each other out? Yes. And we help each other out. I do this talk about having a seat at the table. And what I end with is, ladies, there's more than one seat. Help someone else. A table has more than one chair. When you get to a place professionally that there's only one slot available. No, there's more slots. So help each other reach back because when you pull the next person up, then you're only going to continue to go higher. And Celestine, you've given us a lot of content just in regards to how to grow within our journey. You also have always mentioned about keeping us at a high value and making sure you know your value. And I want to just know what are your final pieces of advice for anyone listening today? Thank you for your time and listening to my journey, whatever your thoughts are about what I shared, please know that I am human. I make mistakes. I grow, I learn, I evolve. And if I can do it and reach this point in my career, you can too. So never doubt yourself. One of my favorite quotes is Nelson Mandela. I never lose. I either win or I learn. Really digest that because it's all about how you perceive the challenges of life. And in the workplace, understand the smartest person in the room might not be the best leader in the room. So be okay not being the smartest leader, but be able to knowing how to translate those technical terms into simple, digestible bites is huge in my role. So understand all of those different facets and then just keep going and find a mentor. That's the the last thing. A mentor will help you navigate the pitfalls, help you bounce ideas off of that person when you're looking for that next opportunity. Also, make sure your mentor is connected. They might pass you a job because the reality is, and here's the last thing I'm going to say, everybody who's a CIO who is make, or a CEO who is making these millions and millions of dollars, they didn't wake up and become a CEO. Somebody gave them a chance. So at the end of the day, they're no better than anybody else. So when you hear things like we don't have a diverse executive board because we can't find talent. No, they didn't look because you're there because somebody gave you a chance. You didn't start as a CEO. I mean, you know, what's the criteria? What's the path for that? Somebody gives you a chance and then you you, you keep going. Mm-hmm. So understand that, too. Yeah. These people don't have golden nuggets or golden anything. It's all about the network. It's all about helping each other out. And that's what they've been doing for years. And I, 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 can't, I can't stop without telling you this story. And this is a true story. I was interviewing, I'm not going to give you the name of the companies or anything like that. I'm going to protect, I shouldn't, but I'm going to protect. So I was interviewing for a, a position. I was reached out to by the executive recruiter for a position in the banking industry. And he tells me, At this level, it's all conversational, getting to know you, blah, 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 blah. 
So he's like, okay, so you're going to be interviewing with this, this particular gentleman. They are grooming him to be this next CIO of this major organization. And in order for him to have all of the experience, they put him over this role so that he can learn so that he will be prepared for the CIO position. So this is what he's telling me mm-hmm. to prepare me for this interview. Right. Mm-hmm. So I meet this man and he's interviewing me and he gets there late. Then he changes my name. Oh, I, I just, your name. No, I was significant. The reason why that's so significant is because his name, he's, he was from another country and his name was so long. I couldn't pronounce it. Like I was literally going to ask him how to pronounce it just to be respectful. I'd known a lot of people from India, Southeast Asia, and I'd never seen a name like that. So I was just trying to figure out how to pronounce it because it has so many consonants. And I just had never seen that before. So while I'm trying to decipher his last name and be respectful, he goes, oh, I just, I can't, your name. So I'm just going to call you Celeste. So this is how we started the interview. And then he proceeds to say, I know you're really excited about this job, but I think I'm looking for someone with more experience. Now, why that's relevant is that he's in a job that he is not qualified for. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to what I was saying as an example of how they give each other opportunities and open that door for each other, mm-hmm. but require other people to have experience that they themselves don't have. Right. And so, so that's how that interview went. And as a matter of fact, I want to do a TED talk called what's in a name, because that was, it was just a lot in that exchange mm-hmm. from a diversity standpoint sexist standpoint, all these different things, cultural issues, all everything balled up in one. But I said that to say, that's how they get those jobs. And then when you hear the narratives, like they can't find it, well, they can't find it because you have people in place who do things like that. Right. I'm sorry. I have to comment that he really changed your name. He shortened my name. Not your name. (laughs) Like That's not how this works. I'm just thinking about, you mentioned a couple of times in this interview of knowing your worth. Let's just say you went through the interview and they actually hired you. How would you actually expect to work on that team? And he called, he want to call you the wrong name from the jump. You're already creating a relationship that is rocky. Yeah. And, you know, I have to respond by giving you a story. My very first job, mm-hmm. I worked with a gentleman who was from Iran okay. and his name was Bustaba. I'll never forget it. Because he said, my name is Mustaba, not Mustaba, not Mush, not anything else. And if you don't call me Mustaba, Mustaba, excuse me, I won't respond. That was his hello. Yeah. And so he set the, he set the expectation right off the bat. So nobody called him an incorrect name. And it's really about knowing your worth and setting those boundaries. And so my name is Celestine. I am named after my aunt who unfortunately passed away of pneumonia. So I'm named in her honor. So I am honored to be to have that name, you know, and that's where the diversity comes in. Ask questions, be open-minded, but that is going to happen until we continue to push change and continue to show up and continue to break those boundaries so that there is someone who looks like me and I'm looking at you and we're all at the table and nobody is, you know, tripping because somebody comes in with the name Celestine and creating your own ladder to climb. So, you know, there's something to be said for that. 
And it's just a matter of timing and when it's it's right for you, if you want to take that leap. Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And as mentioned during the session, I am offering coaching sessions for people who are looking to get into tech or people in the industry who need to navigate their career. The link for that is available in the show notes as well as on blacktechunplugged.com. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this very episode. And if you have Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave a written review too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.